want to follow the reading if you've brought your own Bible. It's John chapter 1. If you've got it on a device, it's still John chapter 1. And uh, it'll appear on the screen. There we go. Um, It's the most amazing passage of Scripture. And um, John obviously was a disciple of Jesus and... He writes his gospel as an evangelist because he wants everyone to know who Jesus is. And he tells us that at the end, toward the end of his gospel, he says, I'm writing all this to you that you might believe in Jesus. And, um, but it's slightly different from the other gospels. If you've ever read all the gospels together, you, know, um, you, you will recognize that John's is slightly different from the others. It's uh, believed to be the, the later one. John was uh, exiled. And uh, um, so he writes more theologically than the other gospel writers. And this is very clear from the very beginning of his gospel. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Whenever I read that passage, I'm tempted not to say anything more because anything I'm about to say is not going to actually match what John has actually written. Um, But that's not going to stop me, obviously. I don't know if any of you have ever gone through your uh, genealogy or ancestry, that kind of thing, worked out your family trees and things like that. I wonder if you've ever thought about this passage, John's what they call prologue, forward introduction to his gospel, if you've ever seen it as the equivalent to the genealogies in Matthew and Luke's gospel. I'd never seen it that way, and I was reading some books this week, and and, uh, a helpful author said, you know, you can see it in this way. Matthew and Luke... Uh, they, they open their Gospels in very different ways. Matthew, you know who is Jewish. 
and he writes a very Jewish gospel for the Jews. He wants to um, explain to people that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the Jewish, the Hebrew word. The, the, the anointed one of God who was always promised to come. All of the Old Testament points to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Matthew wants the people who listen to him and read his gospel to know about the Messiah, the Lion of Judah. And it's all about fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled this. He did this to fulfill that. And he has a genealogy. He begins his gospel with a genealogy. And uh, he starts with Abraham and has three sets of 14. So it's not the most comprehensive genealogy, but he, he includes incredible people in that genealogy, Abraham, David, and Jesus, obviously, as the culmination, the climax. Luke's not a Jew. Luke's gospel is written by a Gentile. It's the only book in the New Testament written by a Gentile. And he also includes a genealogy, but you have to wait to chapter 3 of Luke's gospel to get to the genealogy. Luke's genealogy is a bit more comprehensive because he, he starts with Joseph, son of, and he works all the way down through David, Abraham, Noah, and Adam. So he goes way back and says, son of God. And Matthew and Luke, their genealogies is very, very human. They're placing Jesus in that historical context of whence he came. That God is at work throughout human history, leading up to the most momentous moment of human history, the hinge of human history, the moment when human history changes and Jesus comes and is born. And everything changes. The whole of history changes. We have our date today because of that moment when Jesus came. Matthew and Luke include more detailed narratives about the birth of Jesus. Matthew includes the wonderful story about the visit of the wise men. We don't know how exactly when they came. We, when we do our nativity services, we always squash it all into the half an hour bit. Uh, we, it may have been two years before the, the, the wise men came. We don't know for sure. Luke includes uh, the story of John the Baptist being born, Gabriel's visit to Mary, you know, don't be afraid, Mary, and all that kind of thing, and the shepherds, and where would we be at with Christmas without all those stories? But John is very different, isn't it? You start reading his gospel, it's very different. He goes just straight for it. Jesus is God. Boop. Jesus is God? What an amazing thing for a man who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, laughed with Jesus, went fishing with Jesus, saw Jesus do amazing things, and now he just wants to tell the world Jesus is God. But he says it in quite an interesting way. So Matthew Luke point to the human ancestry. Jesus points to the divine ancestry. Jesus was God in the flesh. 
And he deliberately, you know that, that as you begin John's gospel, it echoes the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. And that's deliberate. He wants you to know that in the beginning, God, yeah, in the beginning was the Word as well. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who said, let there be light and life. John wants to say, he comes. He comes and steps on this earth as the light of the world. As the life of men. And John fleshes out what Genesis 1 describes. And he says, through Jesus all things were made. In him was life and light. It's such a beautiful opening to the gospel. Some people have thought it to be like poetry as well. Or even one of those early hymns like the Colossians passage we read at the beginning. And that Colossians passage and this passage from John, they they contain profound reflections on the pre-existent Jesus, the Jesus before he was known as Jesus, the Jesus who was there in the beginning with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So John's introduction to his gospel, his foreword, his prologue, it's a work of beauty and profound theological breadth and depth. In the beginning was the word. Paul, when he describes that pre-incarnate Jesus in Colossians, he describes him as the image of the invisible God. There's lots of people who believe there's something out there, a power or a force, or, or even call it God, but they don't know who he is. And Paul wants to say, well, yeah, he has a name, and his name's Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. He reveals what God is like in his character and who he is. Not just some sort of awesome presence or power, but actually one who loves and cares for us deeply. Paul describes him in Colossians 1 as the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, even you and me. This is mind-blowing stuff, as the early readers of John read it. The early readers of Paul's letters read them. Jesus, who walked on this earth, made you and me. He's the creator of everything. Elsewhere, Paul writes in Philippians that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider him equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, made himself nothing, became a servant, being made in human likeness. So all these gospel writers and and the early writers in the New Testament, they're, they're saying the same thing in different ways. They're looking at Jesus and they're seeing Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the creator of all things. And he has a plan and a purpose for this world that he is working out. John, throughout his gospel, works out that word that is God bringing creation into being at the beginning, but now bringing his kingdom into being. So wherever Jesus goes, his presence brings transformation, brings life. 
brings light. And when there's darkness, he brings light. And John famously um, couples his miracles and teachings together. He, he collects them together. So when he describes Jesus as the light of the world, he uses the illustration that he healed a man who was blind. He was in darkness. But Jesus, who's the light of the world, made his eyes see. And in the cosmic thing, he is explaining that Jesus is the light of the world and he shines in the darkness and the darkness can never overcome it. The darkness has never understood the light but cannot overcome the light. So in the presence of Jesus, water turns into wine. The hungry get fed, the sick are healed, the dead are raised. Even the wind and the waves of Galilee obey him. In his presence, demons flee and let people go. And deeper than that, in Jesus, sin is dealt with, disarmed, and death is defeated. And throughout John's gospel, those are just signs. All the miracles that he describes Jesus doing are signs. Will you just see the sign? It's a sign to who Jesus is. But tonight, just want to reflect on this opening passage. And he uses this strange, perhaps to our mind, wording, the word. Why didn't he just say, well, hey, this is the good news about Jesus, who's God? He uses this word, the word, hologos in Greek. Now, there are many books that have been written all about this subject, so if you want to read more about it, you can go and get some books on it. But John is not just writing to a Jewish congregation. In fact, by the time John's writing, most Christians are not Jews. It has spread right across into Gentile world. And most of those who are becoming Christians are from a Gentile background. And he writes in the most exquisite Greek as well. And he uses this word logos that has been in Greek minds and thinking for some time. And it sums up kind of wisdom and reason and embodies for the Greeks um, the principle behind the universe. So Greeks reading this would have been familiar. They would have said, the word, yeah. That's the meaning behind the universe. And John's saying, the meaning behind the universe is Jesus. He's the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But also there are Jews who are reading John's Gospel. John was a Jew, and it has that echoes of Genesis, as I've pointed out, and the Word throughout the Scriptures in the Old Testament is is a self-expression of the life-bringing and transformational work of God. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me void or empty, but it will accomplish what I plan and purpose for it. The word. 
The very essence of God in creative life-bringing self-expression which finds its fulfillment in relationship. The culmination of the creation narrative is the creation of mankind. And God says it's good. And he establishes a relationship with humanity. And it all goes wrong because humanity thinks it can do without God. Humanity is tempted to say, we don't need God anymore. And it falls. And it sounds really familiar in a world that says, we don't need God anymore. Why do we need God anymore? We've gone beyond all that kind of stuff. But Jesus comes, the word comes, the word, to restore the relationship that was broken. To rescue you and me because we became alienated from God through our own sinfulness, our brokenness. And that's the miracle, isn't it, of, of Christmas. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, modern translators have used different words for that. Um, Eugene Peterson pitched his tent, I think he calls it, or tabernacled among us, others have said. Basically, that God has moved into the neighborhood. He hasn't left us on our own. In our mess, he has come himself to rescue us. It's the heart of the gospel that we proclaim. And that which is most enduring chose to become that which is most vulnerable. God himself chooses to be born as a baby, a baby in Bethlehem. And it fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament, yes, but how vulnerable is that? The one who spoke creation into being the billions and galaxies were made by his word and he humbles himself to become a baby. The word became flesh. And John says, we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. I just think it's amazing. But then I think Jesus is amazing. Going back to just this word, just reflecting on that for a moment, we know that words are powerful, don't, don't we? Words are really powerful. They can shape us. They can affect the way we view ourselves and the world around us. Words can create and build up. Words can tear down and destroy. The right words at the right time can be such a blessing. If you've ever had the experience when someone's just said the right thing to you at the right time and you've just gone, oh, that's, that's amazing, thank you. And you can treasure those things in your heart and sometimes you remember that for the whole of your life, what that one person said to you. At that time, you treasure it in your heart. We'll read in a few weeks' time, probably from Luke chapter 2, where Mary and all that was happening as she gave birth to Jesus and, and the shepherds come telling her all that the angels had told them. And, and it says in Luke 2 verse 19, she treasured those words in her heart. 
I don't think she ever forgot those words. On the other hand, the wrong words at the wrong time can be powerful in the opposite way. They can be really destructive. Don't you, if you remember the old children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true, is it? I don't know why we ever came up with that. Because sometimes words can hurt more than any broken bone can hurt. So I think there's something really wonderful and profound about John's description as Jesus is the word. Because he's the best word you'll ever hear at exactly the right time when you need to hear it. And whenever you hear it, it's always good. It's always good. Jesus is the ultimate right word at the right time for everyone. Everyone here tonight, everyone outside there tonight. Jesus is the best word they'll ever hear. And John includes in this opening passage this um, testimony to John the Baptist who, who came as a witness to the light, to the word. He wasn't, he wasn't it. He was only there to point to Jesus. And that describes our role as those of us who have come to believe in Jesus. We're just here to point people to Jesus. Every time Christmas rolls around, this will be our 22nd Christmas. I always think, how, how would you say it in another way that I haven't already said it in the 22 years? And I just think, would, would I just be brave and just say, just as it is, Jesus came to save you. He came to die for you. That's it. I'm trying to find new illustrations all the time, but we're just there to point people. Jesus, he's the one. He's the one you need. He's the one you'll ever need, all you'll ever need. Wonderful thing, John says to all who received him, because even those he created, even though he came to his own, the Jewish people of the day did not recognize him, did not receive him. But to everyone who receives him, to anyone who believes in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Do you want to know your ancestry? We're sons and daughters of the living God. It's good enough for me. Sons and daughters of the living God. I'll trace my ancestry. And he comes to save and set free. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, but though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born 
of God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is. Let's pray together. just want to end as uh, we pray with just this short meditation then the band are going to lead us in a song of response, a song of adoration of who Jesus is.